Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. And it starts right now. Oh, welcome <laughs> back to another episode of a typical disgusting display podcast. What is it? <laughs> Four, Four writers, writers by writers who hate writing. Boom. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> wow, man. I've only said it's What are you vaping today? Oh, it's the good stuff today. <laughs> Succulent juices of vapor. We're excited today. We, we have a great show. Uh, we're going to be talking to Seth Meyers later, which is obviously huge for us. We're really excited about that. We hope you are too. And it, this is, I guess it's we're in an SNL zone right now because- Next week, yes. we have current SNL cast member Heidi Gardner Woo-hoo. will be on the show with wow. us. Yeah. Heidi Thanks. Gardner. Gardner. We're excited about that. She's hilarious. Um, Goldie, I, I, th- there was a story that I came across, and on its face, it doesn't sound funny. But Hang then on one second. Is yeah. this going to be about a bald guy? No. <laughs> no, I promise. <laughs> Please continue. Nothing to do with hair. I promise. Because you know, every week you see, you go. I was perusing, and I was wondering what you would think. And it's nope. like some bald guy having not a miserable every, experience. And you not every week. I don't. Okay. You were the you were the guy who came up with the great stock theory of the bald guy, which I loved. That was genius. Loved. Don't uh, even I think remember what it was. It was that they <laughs> always the show a bald guy down. when the stocks oh, are going down. It is yeah. genius. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. So you really got us kicked yeah, off. Yeah. When the market that. crashes, they run a stock photo of a bald guy. <laughs> yes. Market goes up. Suddenly, they find a trader with hair. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Think happy days are here again. Yep. Um, well, anyway, so no, this story uh, I saw came from the world of college basketball. Um, apparently, there was a game between Colorado State and Utah State. And it was at Colorado State. And on the Utah State team, they have a Ukrainian player. So when he went to the free throw line, the Colorado State fans were chanting Russia. Oh, God. Wow. Russia. (laughs) And now, uh, yes, I had the same reaction. It's tough. It's a little bit horrifying (laughs) given the obviously terrible nature of that war and what's going on there. Sure. But. A little piece of me respected it as an asshole fan. Oh, That's a great all-time asshole fan chant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, I you genius. know, 
He did. I don't approve. It doesn't get my seal of approval, but I also remember in my college days uh, at Columbia, Ivy League basketball was actually pretty competitive because yeah. the winner Princeton. of the Ivy League does get to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And my senior, junior year, I believe, uh, we actually had a team that was very competitive. We beat Princeton twice. Oh, wow. Whoa. And, and it looked like maybe we could make the tournament. But then Penn had this incredible team <laughs> with a guy, Matt Maloney, who made the NBA, another guy, Jerome Allen, who was in the NBA briefly. Yeah. Um, but I remember going to those games and sitting behind the Princeton bench. And I don't remember exactly what was said, but a... <laughs> Uh, Princeton assistant coach tried to charge me at one point. So <laughs> I think it was probably the equivalent of a Russia chant. Yes. Those kids are all drunk. They're having fun, but doesn't make it right. But no. I, it, yeah, I, I had the same reaction. It is not right. But no. in, in, I can see myself in a similar situation. As, as someone, Goldie, it's well documented that when you and I go to games or when yeah. we go separately, we tend to get very activated and engaged. Well, I noticed last time we were there, um, there was a card on the seat because you generously got us good seats that said there's this code of conduct, which did not exist <laughs> no. five years ago. And I would like to think maybe I have a little bit to do with the implementation of it. I would like to think that too. Again, for what those honor. of you who have forgotten, Goldie single-handedly won a game for the Clippers over the <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder. Back when the Thunder were really good and they yeah. had great games back then. Goldie mercilessly taunted their bench from five feet away. They were noticing. They were reacting. They were upset. One, one point in, in a game like that, you know, obviously can be the game. And I do remember Nick Collison at the free throw line, just sort of the, my, the computer in my mind's already noticing there's going to be a perfectly silent moment <laughs> yes. as he was cocking his free throw. And I knew he had a Twitter account that he tried yes. to be funny on it. So as he was raising the ball, I said, Collison, your Twitter sucks. <laughs> yeah. And he missed. Yes. First joke of the day. First joke of the day. <laughs> that was a, a, such a proud moment for Clipper yeah. Nation. Rise yeah. as one. <laughs> yeah, you but it's, did that. I always found that if, you know, like I, I, as I'm over 50 now, I don't know that I would do this or find the time. But if you're going to go to these games and you're going to be in the courtside seat and you get this little piece of personal information, not about like their wife or their kids or any of that stuff. No. But I mean, you, you just kind of suss out like, oh, they really like to be seen in this way. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to shout a personal thing <laughs> that is going to penetrate their psyche of like, oh, no, that's not cool. You know, it was such a such a well-placed dart. And you also uh, their coach, poor Scotty Brooks, oh, didn't never yeah. stood a chance. His, his clothes didn't fit. Right, and yeah. Goldie let him know. <laughs> yeah, great. I hope someday to to get back down there and really yeah. let some someone have it. And also one of the best did... ones I ever heard was we were I was at a Clippers game and it was they were so horrible, and um, <laughs> I got these great seats. They were right courtside, and in fact they were uh, right behind Penny Marshall's seats, who was oh, a big Clipper cool. fan. Yeah, and yeah. she came in uh, one minute thirty seconds before halftime sat down with a hot dog and turned to me and said, aren't they terrible? <laughs> and then left at halftime and I never saw her again. Oh my God, that's but, amazing. So Mike Dunleavy was the coach. Oh, wow. Yes. And uh, he was wearing a gray suit. <laughs> and he stood up and a guy just said, hey, down in front, gray suit. <laughs> Which was hilarious. 
and the then disrespect. There oh, was the a disrespect. There was a there was a timeout, and again, this guy, like you know, in the in the pas de deux dance of finding a moment of silence, found a moment of silence, and he goes, "Hey, Don Levy, your son is named Clay. <laughs> that's stupid." <laughs> Just like that's a that's a perfect one. Oh, got him. That's so great. Oh, we're we're such horrible, awesome fans. Uh, I did notice because really we went to that game recently uh, back in December. Really great game yeah, and amazing uh, game. I I used to make mild hay by shouting the name Donahue at basketball <laughs> games when the refs were bad because he was a, a famously oh, yeah. corrupt ref who ended up going <laughs> to prison for fixing games. So I would just shriek Donahue. And and savvy fans near me would kind of like give me a nod or, you know, react <laughs> yeah. in some way. At the game we went to, I shouted Donahue a couple of times, nothing, he's forgotten. No, yeah. just an old History. man yeah. standing up and shouting something. No one knows what that is. <laughs> <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> no. It, 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 23 skadoo. <laughs> Sir, no Sir one, that's, no nobody one knows. knows what that is anymore. <laughs> uh, to, I think for observers said uh, man in his 40s and man in his 50s shouted court. <laughs> that's, that was the big divide between us. Yeah. Um, Goldie, did you have anything this week before we get into our torture? Well, the, the, the end to this little just sort of theory is you, you sent me a text. It was about the Kyrie Irving trade. Yes. And the New Jersey Nets had included a a draft pick in 2029, and and you right. can say so the just text you sent to fully yeah. explain. Kyrie got asked for a trade, was then traded to the Dallas Mavericks from Brooklyn, and one of the pieces in the trade that Brooklyn gave Dallas was a draft pick in 2029. Yes, Whoa. and what did you say about that? I said like that's a genius move by Brooklyn because fifty fifty the world ends before then and they'll never have <laughs> yeah. to pay up. Oh my god! So I, th- I I feel like there's this sense of everyone and it's presented as a joke, but it yep. isn't a joke. That like is this the end? Is this the end of our industry? Yeah. Is this the end of the world? Right. Like <laughs> well, I, like yeah. everyone kind of quietly is thinking this, and yes, no one's really no one wants to dig too deeply because it's because what do you do it's horrible yeah. what can you to, do to yeah think about but i i want to focus on the industry part of it because i don't know really anyone who's doing as well or better than they were a few years ago and we're about to enter into oh, supposedly true. as a strike period where the writers guild is going to go on strike oh wow um i don't know and i'm i'd be fascinated to know and jc i want to ask if, if you or Stu had this experience in music, but I wish there was a book. And if I were in a, in a grad school, I, I would say, I just thought of my thesis. This is what I'm going to do. And yeah. if I were a more ambitious person, I would say, I'm going to write this book. But if you took five industries or moments in history where people didn't realize like it was all over. Right. And what their experience was before that, because I do feel like television as we know it is on its last legs. And I wonder, like, say that the last people manufacturing cannonballs in, say, yeah. 1954, were they thinking, <laughs> you know, this machine gun thing, I kind of get it. It is pretty efficient, but there's always going to be a wooden ship somewhere 
right. firing at another wooden ship in open battle and they're gonna need cannonballs <laughs> right or like yeah when hot air balloons and, and zeppelins were up in the sky were they thinking like no one's gonna want to sit in a closed tube for <laughs> more than 30 minutes and go somewhere you want to be in a wicker basket <laughs> that's what you want is if you're in the air there's nothing better than feeling the wicker against your back and the hot flame on your face as you rise in the sky in a pointless journey that's what it's always gonna be uh, so you're saying that like are, are the people the equivalent in our industry are gonna say like people enjoy the contained freedom of four choices when it comes to entertainment more than that I think something that's written by a human being in the format of 20-25 minutes with the same characters we know on a service where you click around like yeah. I just yeah. don't know that you know and the deep fakes that are coming it's like are people just going to be creating their own deep fake pornography of like, you know, I like this person in high school. Now I'm going to fuck them on a screen and it feels accurate. <laughs> right. It's like, how are you going to go like, there's a new workplace comedy coming out on something called NBC that is there any comeback for this or any sustenance? In and, it? and is it also, is there fear of this new AI like yes. ability like with yes. the Seinfeld AI Seinfeld that's like being shown on Twitch somebody said to me you should check it out I'm like nope I'm not, yeah. I don't want to support this I don't really care about I mean like but that I'm old right right so I just don't care but I mean yeah, is there fear you, that it could take more jobs yeah, I think there is because you know Goldie yes we're we're old but also there's given if we look at the past we could say, yes, we're old, but we also could be in line for another dozen years of working if we wanted. And but then you if say, Seth MacFarlane doesn't step y- on soap in the shower, hit exactly, his and then, right, you know, right. It's all so over. we're riding this lucky unicorn that could last for much longer than we have any right to. Sure, but and Seth will never, you know, let Family Guy be uh, made by AI. So I think we're kind of yeah, safe right. there, but. I do believe, you know, when you you talked about it last week, the AI chatbot that, you know, passed the bar, that passed the medical exam, business school exam. And I've started to read these little things popping up on Instagram where people are posting, as JC pointed out, like AI Seinfeld, AI, I've seen AI scenes for Family Guy written. And they're not, they're not there. They're not, they're not quite there, but they're, they're sniffing around it. It's not that far off. Yeah, And I wonder if that some, you know, network is going to say, we don't have to pay any writers or actors. <laughs> like, maybe we should do I, that. I mean, I think we're about to find out faster than you think in May. <laughs> that, yeah. Why you know, May? That's when the possible the strike. strike? Yeah. yeah. This is news yeah. to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we may it's, have a lot more all, time. But it's, it's interesting because then, you know, we have these thoughts. I mean, that's our industry. And then you go to the larger world and then there's a special on fox news coming out is the world ending and the the reason they think the world is ending in the special is woke culture <laughs> like they're like people expending this little amount of courtesy to downtrodden groups that's gonna be the what brings us all down is that you would have to have like mild sympathy for someone else's point of view i don't think we can survive that after having just come out of covid too that's hilarious unbelievable uh yeah and jc to get back to the music industry, yes. because Goldie and I mentioned this briefly off air this morning, and we both said, 
that the music industry kind of already went through yeah, a, it a major streaming. death. Yeah, so well, what was what was that like for you on the uh, kind of was, on the inside? Did you that? know it was coming when yes. it, before it hit? Yes, I mean it. We felt it as soon as like, and some of us are guilty of it, but like LimeWire, Napster, the downloading of of music and and streaming, and you know the way people used to make their money was when people bought their music. Now that's completely out of the question, and. What happened is the entire industry shifted. So then you started seeing Apple t- Apple commercials with, with artists. So now right. when people talk about, they don't talk about selling records, they talk about placements. So yes. the whole industry just shifted. And I also think it created new style, different styles of music that indie music became more mainstream because more people started making music from home and, and just putting it out there because... You didn't need right. to sign to any labels anymore. So now the new thing, and Stu's been playing with an artist named Dominic Fike, and his songs are like, some of them are a minute and a half long. Wow. So they're like, they play through the chorus and the verse once. So it just, I feel like art will change. And, you know, the, the interesting things sort of bubble to the top. And it's just, you just kind of, it's kind of unpredictable. We just got to keep holding on to this Titanic door that's floating in the <laughs> yeah. North Atlantic. There's, Goldie, there's room for both of us, unlike Jack and Rose. We can both get up there. It seemed like there was room for both of them, too, when you go back and watch. <laughs> I know. And apparently, well, <laughs> I heard yeah. that he's going to recreate the scene. He did it already. He did it? He did I'm it. So he did behind. Behind. smaller. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's door shaving. So did it, uh, so what, did no, we, no, he, he did it. With the specific intent to prove the haters yeah. wrong, like no, they couldn't have. So I wonder at the science <laughs> of the um, right. the experiment. But they did do it. Here, here's me. Yeah, <gasps> Rose. Why don't we alternate? You take the door for thirty seconds, and then I'll take the door for thirty seconds, and then we can both live because we'll each. Only have to swim half the time, and then we can hold on half the time. I think that'll work. <laughs> You're whispering so the sharks don't hear. I love I'm it. I'm about to pass out yeah. from doing that. As well. <laughs> <laughs> well, so JC's story makes me think, Goldie, about your original question that, yes, we are, as you said off air, we're in Pompeii. This and the scary. ashes, the ashes yeah, the, are raining the volca- down. The, the lava's coming down. People are like, I don't think it's going to hit us. <laughs> yeah, right. right. That's what that's like, us. We should right. go to work. I, I think maybe at most will give us an hour. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all going to the Cape and moving in with Alec. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. I think that's sort of a sad prognosis for our for our industry. But oh, yeah. If, I mean, if we're done talking about this, it feels like we are. I, I want to point out I got a, a DM on Instagram and and, and issue a correction. Because oh, I yeah. talked about D.B. Cooper last week. Yes. yes. And I said that he had stolen some money and then was on a plane. And this user who's private, his name is Joshua. If okay. you want credit, you could DM me. I'll say your name at yep. a later point. But he said that, like, Cooper hijacking the plane was how he got the money. Oh. He extorted the right. money by having the plane. Right. So he didn't I, rob a bank and right. get on the plane. Yes. Right, 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 right. Okay. So I okay. fucked up. It's <laughs> <laughs> accountability, folks. <laughs> yep. And speaking of accountability, let's roll right in to Johnny Jokes. Whoa, from Hollywood, here is the last Johnny's. 
Oh, that, no, that's Ominous. exciting. Is that true? Oh, boy. Better make them terrible. Here we go. Oh, a sad story to start off here. JC, get that finger ready. Legendary perfumer Paco Rabanne has passed away at the age of 88. Aww. He gone! Yeah, he gone. Uh, no word on where these services will be held, but you can just follow the smell. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Knew that was coming. That's a good joke. Oh, Here's another scary story. A neo-Nazi leader and his girlfriend have been arrested after it was discovered they were hatching a plan to completely destroy Baltimore. But thanks to quick-thinking federal agents, today Baltimore remains safely mostly destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing something different today. I'm going to end with two norms. Oh, two. Whoa. 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 Two norms. All right. <laughs> An Italian mafia hitman who was hiding as a pizza chef in France was apprehended last week after 17 years on the run. French authorities say they started to suspect the man might be the Italian killer when they saw him in a giant public window tossing a pizza. <laughs> Next norm, hopefully better. <clears throat> Controversy in women's college basketball when a men's basketball was accidentally used for a game between Duke and Florida State. Oh, yeah. Officials became suspicious that it was a men's ball after it repeatedly went through the hoop. <laughs> Johnny number two. Okay. That's good. Picking up the dented baton. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> two years after being canceled for accusations of cannibalism, actor Army Hammer is now finally ready to tell his side of the story. He was hungry. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> AMC Theaters is now charging customers more for better seats at movies. Yeah. Uh, for example, at screenings of 80 for Brady, viewers paid as much as $50 to sit by the exit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> He's our friend, though. He's our yeah. friend. Yeah. Oh, very much so. And uh, <clears throat> this isn't great. Uh, the so-called doomsday clock is now 90 seconds from midnight, the closest it's ever been to predicting the annihilation of humanity. Cool. Yeah, that's not great. But uh, fortunately, in a few months, the clock will go back an hour for Doom's Daylight Savings. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's excellent. Excellent. Excellent turn of phrase. And finally, Leonardo DiCaprio, actor Leonardo DiCaprio, is being blasted for dating a 19-year-old model. And DiCaprio defended himself, saying, don't worry, I'll dump her when she's 20. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, boy. I, I might have closed with Doom's Daylight Saving. Yeah, funny. I know. Very I funny. Know. Great. It's great. All right, folks. Boy, are we excited today. If you've been a fan of comedy in this century, our guest today needs no introduction. He ro rose to fame as a writer-performer on Saturday Night Live and is currently host of the coolest time slot in late night history, <laughs> please welcome the alarmingly affable Seth Myers. Seth, Yay. thank you for being Ooh. here today. Welcome. Thank you for drawing attention to my affability. <laughs> yes, no one <laughs> ever does often, that. Often, often <laughs> overlooked. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Is that in every article written about you? 
<laughs> I feel like maybe my affability has been discovered by others. Yeah, right. Okay, so it's I'm true. not first to that story. <laughs> I told him. It's, I told him not to do that. He, <laughs> he tells me not secretly to secretly negative. In, in fairness, dig in. Well, you yeah. have a nice smile, Seth. Oh, you have a nice you. smile. America you. loves that. Now I have a bone to pick with you right out of the gate. Oh, great! Right, wow. right out Let's of the get gate. Picking. Okay, so. You don't know me that well. We have a procured Twitter relationship, yeah. which thank you for your support over the years, by the way. <laughs> um, my closest movie equivalent, and Goldie will back me up on this, is Salieri from oh, Amadeus. Interesting. So like most Salieri's in the world, when I saw you start to rise up on Saturday Night Live, was I happy for you? Was I sitting there smiling? <laughs> I thought, who the fuck is this guy? But then... Then I hear that all too important piece of information for New Englanders. He's from New Hampshire. And then it was just all love. The whole you're rooting for the hometown kid. But in researching this very podcast, I discovered you were born in the Midwest and lived there until the age of 10. So I want to know do you consider yourself a Midwesterner or a New Hampshireian? I consider myself a New Hampshireite 100%. Yes. And I'm very, it's very kind of you to say that because I have often made the observation, where are you from exactly? I'm from, suburb- Goldie and I are both from suburban Boston. I'm from Lexington a town called Mass, shot around the world. Yeah. So I feel as though where you people are from, you do yes. not consider New Hampshire family. I have always found that Ooh. the closer you are to Boston, the more you feel like the people farther away from Boston don't belong. So I am enjoying that you are willing to throw your arms and embrace my New Hampshire roots. But, you know, my parents are still there. My mom's from Marblehead. And so it felt very natural to fall into New England and feel like that was my home. And it still does. I've had fireworks thrown at me twice and both times were in New Hampshire. (laughs) About right. Yeah, there are a lot of them. Lot in of return, them I hope you got some tax-free liquor for your problems. <laughs> yes. Oh, Those God. places are amazing. Yeah, what a feature. Right over Such the border. Such a coincidence, yeah, that they all ended up right over the border. <laughs> People so desperate to get there, they don't want to drive an extra half mile. Um, now, so growing up in New Hampshire, who, mm-hmm. who made you laugh when you were a kid? Like, what, who or what made you laugh? I mean, my dad made me laugh the most. My dad's a very funny man. And even though, you know, he's in finance, he was always someone who held the attention of other people. And, you know, to this day, I think of him as certainly the person who planted the roots that if you're funny, you tend to hold people's attention. And also my mom's a very beautiful woman. And I think my brother and I both realized if you can make someone laugh, you can do way above your station. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing that was really cool about my parents is they were, they kind of came up that generation where comedy got cool right when they were in their early 20s with things like Monty Python and when SNL started. And they shared that with us at a time that I think was probably a little age inappropriate. But so not only did my dad make us laugh, but we also liked laughing at the same things that made our parents laugh. And so I never liked, I mean, outside of obviously, you know, Looney Tunes, which I feel like is also like more adult than we give it credit for. I never liked anything that was aimed at kids. Yeah. In the way that I feel like my peer group was. So that kind of family sitcom was always a drag. But we would, you know, my brother and I would watch SNL. We would tape it. 
And then the next morning, we would show my parents the three things we thought they'd like. Oh. <laughs> was that the agreement? Just three things. We can't it was sit here all, and watch. You know what it really was? It's funny that even years before I was on SNL, I was worried that my parents would say SNL stunk. in the late 80s i didn't want my parents to be like it's not as good as it used to be i think i would have been personally (laughs) are they supportive do they stay up and watch it or do they do the new england thing of like it you know it's it's very late we we try to catch it um we hear good things they that's a very good question i feel like they probably didn't watch it live in the years i was on but i don't know no, I think they were already too old. I wouldn't have expected them to. I'm very oh, happy they to watch say, your your current. Show. They watch every episode of Late Night. They oh, do watch amazing. every episode of Late Night the following day before they watch Jeopardy. That is their, oh, that's that that's actually process. awesome. That's awesome. It's so funny that you don't really know if they watch Saturday Night Live or not, and nothing says you're more New England than that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, we're just, well, we're just never going to talk about it. Your mom and Ted, Alec, <laughs> what's that? You, you wrote the movie Ted. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And she's she, never she seen, it. seen it. No, no, she oh. doesn't. It was a but giant she, comedy hit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, was but she, she doesn't like. She doesn't like R rated. Uh, well, she go. doesn't like R rated. There you go. You know, but she doesn't like Family Guy either. She doesn't listen to this podcast. But she she did see a little snippet last week when I was talking about having to take a shit, and she was like, "I saw the snippet. Very nice. Very nice. I couldn't get through it." Uh, so we all know that uh, growing up in New England. Now, I'm curious now, what you said late 80s, but what season around of SNL were you doing this taping? I bet it's 90. Yeah, it's probably 90, 91. Like, well, let me see. I said, no. Yeah, so 89. I feel like my era is the end of that Carvey, Hartman, Lovitz, mm-hmm. Dennis era, and also the beginning. That was really exciting, and you realize why that show endures for so long is when the Farley Spade Sandler yeah. Rock showed up and yeah. you realize, oh, those are, this is my crew. Right. You know, and yeah. I really, and now of course the older you get, you, you think of them all, it all sort of flattens out in a good way. Anyone who was ever good on the show belongs to you. Yeah. But at the right. time <laughs> that was so thrilling. And also because my parents liked them a little bit less, right? They, right. Yes. it was, Having exactly the desired effect, whereas I think my dad <laughs> thought somebody like Phil Hartman was very precise and workmanlike. He showed up with his lunch pail, he got the job done, right. and then these kids, it's like they have no respect for it. They're breaking <laughs> tables. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember distinctly my dad, uh, you know, almost like nails on a chalkboard when he first heard Adam Sandler. <laughs> it was just oh, yeah. like, he was not in for that. And I'm like, this is who we find funny. Although I will, you know, Sandler is from basically my hometown. Yes. And so is Sarah Silverman. So that is the crazy thing about New Hampshire and SNL. I would yep. think if you put the push pins on the map of everybody over the years, there's this weird hot spot in southern <laughs> New Hampshire. <laughs> but I've talked to my mom over the years. We can't, because she was a school teacher, and she can't, I have a theory that not every New Hampshire kid talked like Adam Sandler until Adam Sandler, that Adam Sandler... <laughs> You think everybody yes. in New Hampshire talks like him, but I think he taught everybody how to talk. That's, that's right. such a great theory. And, you know, that actually lines up with uh, uh, pilots. You know how they all kind of talk the same way? Like we're uh, folks. Yeah, work. yeah, yeah. That, that is apparently all because of Chuck Yeager used to talk like that. 
And so they copied him, and it's still, to this day, they're still talking that way. But I completely agree with Adam Sandler, like, shaping this youth of New Hampshire (laughs) to be even scummier (laughs) if that's possible. (laughs) But, you know, the other, you know, not to go back to uh, uh, an earlier theme, an affable scumminess. Like, that is the most wonderful quality. Because there is that thing about New England charm. Whereas you can be a scumbag who can turn it on for a parent. And that is what I always (laughs) felt like. That's why Sandler could so seamlessly go back and forth into sort of being the really, you know, the filthy stand-up album. But he could also do the movie that your parents would watch because they they wanted him to get the girl and the wedding singer just as much as you did. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good point about just having to turn it on in an instant for a parent. Every kid in New England has been at like somebody's party that went off the rails and somehow you're the one sober kid who has to say like, hi, Mrs. Perkins. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you know, we didn't know any of this was going to happen. Well, it is the classic, which Sandberg made hay out of the Mark Wahlberg say hi to your mother for me. I mean, that is. Because that was, again, from, I think, a line from one of those movies that was not one of Mark Wahlberg's biggest hits. But I love that Sandberg saw it. (laughs) No, that is the one... That is the one piece of gold. (laughs) He mined it. He mined it. Um, Well, let's skip ahead because we're talking about it now. Um, I uh, remember seeing on on the late night show, uh, you guys did a little film preview piece called Boston Accent. Yeah. That was hilarious, as we say. (laughs) And I I had this thing. I remember when I first saw it, which must have been right when it came out. I saw it online or something. And uh, I had this thought watching it i'm like oh my god he's he's doing every boston accent why and then i it occurred to me no one else can really do it which you address <laughs> in the video itself and so are you as fascinated i think the answer is yes by the microclimates of of boston slash new england accents it is so wonderful and again the well-made Boston movie, you know, the Gone Girls or the Spotlight even, where you get five or six of them and you can tell (laughs) the people who are making the film take it seriously. It's just the best. Friends of Eddie Coyle, that's a really, I mean, that's that's one one. of the all-time greats. But Mitchum doesn't do anything in that. He's just Mitchum. You almost, there's an expectation that, thank God for his legacy that Robert Mitchum didn't show up late in life having to do a Boston accent. (laughs) I know, it's so hard. Why is it so hard for everyone? Like, even in a great movie like The Departed, which is an excellent movie, you have a couple of clunkers in there. Poor uh, Martin Sheen was in over his head. (laughs) Yep. And doing, it seemed like, following like took the wrong exit for what kind of boston accent it yes. you know again because we talk about the how they're different ones and he just went a little too patrician and yes. it was just a quite a little too much harvard professor not enough law enforcement it's a yeah. terrible mistake that you can make especially yeah because law enforcement in massachusetts they have one voice so yeah. you gotta nail that you have to nail that um but have you also noticed in boston because i think people Think of, as you, again, touched on in, the, in that Boston accent trailer, the pack the car and have a yard, which is for sure a thing. Um, but it's kind of the only thing some people know. And in fact, there's a Boston thing where people like to drop R's. 
but there's a Boston thing where they add R's where they should not be, where they say, like, Jerry Remy was the king of that. He'd say, like, ah, the, the Jimmy Fund is supporting uh, charities over the area. Like, where is that? Like, it, the, he puts an R on it at the end. And well, I just you gotta, you, you got to use all the R's you drop. It's a recycling <laughs> right. uh, They're coming from a common pool. Um, is it the funniest accent in the world? I do think it's the funniest. You know, my dad's from Pittsburgh, and I think Pittsburgh, which I think from a wide shot, people mistake for Philly as well, but there is something about Pittsburgh, but it's less funny. It's right. more unique, and you kind of can't believe it exists still, it seems, right. from a bygone era. So I do enjoy a good Pittsburgh accent, but I think <laughs> also just people from Boston, I think one of the reasons the accent gets so much credit for being funny is that people from Boston are funnier. So there's just a higher yeah. percentage of funny things have been said over the years with a New England accent. I'm liking of... everything you're saying here. <laughs> uh, um, now, uh, let's talk a little bit about, about SNL. What was it like? To, because there was a period of time where, especially with, you know, with Tina and Amy, when they sort of exploded on the scene, and there was a big election cycle. And yeah. they were it was like Beatles concerts, like the yeah. Weekend Update. And you yourself have been in that seat when it's going crazy. What is that like when people are so into what you're doing week to week? Is it added pressure or is it totally fun? It's so exciting. I mean, it is a little bit like being on a winning streak where you're constantly worried about when it's going to end. Right. For sure, the hottest run I ever had at the show, and by me, I mean everybody there, was that Sarah Palin period of time. And it was so... Just emotionally, it happened at such a nice place because it was, you know, right off the heels of the writer's strike. We'd all kind of been away Mm. from each other. And then we came back. We finished half a season. And then the next season was, you know, the Sarah Palin arrival. People forget that Tina wasn't on the show anymore. She was doing 30 Rock, so she would just come back to do Palin. But that was already, for my money, top three. And I don't. When I say top three casts, I'm I'm not talking about myself. I, I consider myself very much the guy who played himself only. But uh-huh. top three casts of all time, and then you added Tina back into it. And it was a small cast, and it was a really tight cast. And we had the added attention of everybody was tuning in to see what the Sarah Palin stuff was. But that is the – it's really great when you have that because that sort of then floated all this other really cool stuff that was happening at the same time. You know, people who never watched the show would tune in to see what, what Tina would do. And then right after the cold open, there would be a MacGruber sketch. And so it was really right. fun. And that is the great thing about the show. When everybody's paying attention for the politics, that's a really cool time where everybody sees the thing they wouldn't have seen otherwise. They wouldn't have tuned in for. Do, do you feel like maybe now something like that is is harder given like you caught the last moment of pre-YouTube pre-internet there's 30 impressionists now doing a sarah palin thing and and you can't be the first to it so you can't be definitive and so now you're leaving the viewer to sift through all this and choose you and then get bumped up like do you think that that type of breakthrough moment for network tv can still happen or do you think it's going to come from somewhere else i don't know i mean i will a lot of things broke our way because even if it was in the youtube era Everybody thought Tina should play Sarah Palin. Yes. It was this weird yes. thing that never happens like that. Right. So incredible good fortune fell upon the show. I think we executed really well with the opportunity. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of work went into it, but it would be a mistake to not also think we were lucky. I was gone 
by 2016. But I think a lot of people were watching that same way. It was a little less unique, I agree, because, you know, more people were out there doing it. But I think that, you know, certainly ratings wise, if memory serves, that was still a pretty huge time for the show. So but, you know, I'm just lucky to have been there for that because I was like I played John Kerry in 2004. And I can tell you, you don't always feel the heat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so hard to imagine. Kerry was such a scintillating character. I can tell you, I in 2008, Tina Fey couldn't walk down the street. In 2004, I had no trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I could go about my day to day without even being bothered. (laughs) You know, what's so funny about I mean, it's not funny. It's sort of sad in retrospect that the thing that they got quote, carry on was that he was a flip-flopper, right? Oh, my God. And so what did he flip-flop about? Vietnam. He First he went and was a brave soldier, and then afterwards he decided maybe <laughs> Vietnam wasn't so great, and that's what cost him the election. Yeah. It was a sad indicator of the way our country well, was Well, and then he also had the misfortune of being filmed once on a windsurfer turning. Yeah. <laughs> and just, he totally like, Look at him. He that. turned. And it's like, well, no one takes a windsurfer across the ocean and doesn't come back, you fucking idiots. <laughs> you it have also, to turn. It, you saying that reminds me. It feels as though to be labeled a flip-flopper, you have to make two motions because it seemed like all he did on Vietnam was flip. Right. Like the initial, yes. the first action is not a flip. It is just you take a position and then you call him a right. flipper, but flip-flop seemed. Yeah, that was, they really dragged him with the extra uh, syllable in that. It just turns out all it ever matters is how much they like you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's it just, none of it matters. Well, he, he tried to, to turn things around by going on The Tonight Show. I still remember this is because we were working in late night and I just thought this was awful and they're like we'll put you on a Harley and you're gonna pull up to the gate and drive right through the gate like a badass and it just was like fuck it it just didn't work Um, we I we've reached the point I I wonder what you guys think about this because obviously when this show started I thought we'd have politicians on all the time yeah Yeah. basically my takeaway and this is a a nonpartisan criticism they're mostly uh, boring as shit Because they don't want to risk anything, which I totally understand, right? I'm not saying it's the wrong call. But what is good for us isn't necessarily good for them. And I also feel like, especially if it's someone running in a Senate election, not in New York, I wonder, is this just helping or hurting? Like, if you're here, (laughs) maybe on a fundraising level it helps, which I bet most politicians would tell you is, um, you know, massive positive. But that thing, because I would never, that Harley thing, I would be so worried about any politician putting them in a situation where the photo they never lived down happened when yes. they were on well, your do show. Well, you, do you feel like part, part of the difficulty with that is that appearance, in a sense, is a form of endorsement, whether explicit or not, and that you have these people. On, like now there are so many people with so many repulsive views yeah. to, to at least me personally, I'm not speaking for you, but that I would just go, I, even if that person is like, a fun Republican who I disagree with, I'd just kind of go like, if I were you, I'd go, I don't want to do this. No. Yeah. Well, it was funny because in 2016, we had everybody. Like all, I think most of the Republicans and there were fewer, obviously, Democrats then. But I agree. It it just, at the time, it felt like in 2016, and it's a before time now, right? Lindsey Graham didn't seem like the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. Ted Cruz didn't seem like the craziest thing in the world. And now after everything, the way they've debased themselves, it just doesn't seem like 
you could have sort of a carefree conversation that wouldn't no. make you feel a little gross <laughs> after yeah. the fact. And the, the real good news is I don't feel like it costs our show anything. At the end of the day, no, no. I think people would much rather hear our take on politics than hear a politician's take on themselves. The other thing is, it was a really funny, certainly in 2020 when there was this giant field of Democratic candidates. At one point, remember, they were like breaking up the debates because there were 24 yes. people. Yeah. And what happened with our audience is you would say this next our next guest is a Democratic candidate for uh, the presidential nomination. And you could feel the audience get excited because they were internally thinking, oh, my God, I might be seeing the next president. And then within three minutes of the interview, you could feel them all sink back in their seats as they were like, this person's not going to be president of the United States. Like, and, and so it just in general wasn't very good television. Right. Uh, well, you're, you're right about that. It, it, and it also seems like Goldie and I have both come from the late night world. We worked for Kilborn for years and a guest like that creates more work internally. It's <laughs> like, well, we can't talk about anything. So we're going to play Velcro tennis tic-tac-toe with, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, ah, <laughs> uh, why do we have to come up with another tedious bit? Yeah, because the, the I have a lot of fun doing the show. And yeah. the people who make it, I think we all have a fun time. It's not fun trying to make a not fun person look fun. Yeah. Not, <laughs> I don't that's think that's why any of us got into comedy. Right. And so, um, you know, I wish them all the best of luck. I think they should try harder to be fun in their everyday lives and not yes. just when they're <laughs> Absolutely. Comedy well, we're speaking of before times here. I'd love to talk for a minute about your uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner <laughs> because uh, this was, first of all, I, I, watch, I watched it before and I watched it again last night and it was really funny. And it's also funny just to, you get the sense that you're a boxer in like a 12-round fight because it's <laughs> never given from one moment to the next what the audience is going to be giving back to you. Yes. So was that like a unique experience for you? Have you ever experienced something like that before or since? No. <laughs> I think I've done monologues at things since Emmys, Golden Globes. Way right. shorter, though. This felt... Yes. This was 20-plus minutes. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's really long. Yeah. And certainly the kind of performer I was then and am now, it's always about the quality of the material. I think I'm really good at delivering a joke, but it's never going to be I find a bit where I'm, you know, it's so it's yeah. very, it was very station to station yeah. in that there was this joke and then there's this joke. And so the bottom could fall out at any given time and <laughs> did. I mean, there are still, you know, I would have a very hard time going back and watching because I still remember those moments where there were five or six just total clunkers. And the worst part about the clunkers is most of them were the ones I fought for because right. I was just so, <laughs> so in love with the writing. Now, to my credit, I put two jokes on a card. So I think it was, I think it's a hundred cards that yeah. I still have. Yeah, oh, that's And great. as I was going, I was self-editing. There were oh. things where I would realize, because there's no way to know a room like that until yes. you're in the middle of it doing it. And so there was nothing I cut on the fly that I regretted cutting. Wow. And right. I think that is a good, there is a, there is a good lesson to be learned for writers, which is you more, most of your regrets are the things you left in. And, but I will say it was very out of body. It was, I had a sense it was going well. 
It I, went very well. I sweat through my tuxedo. It's the only time in my life. I've worn wow. tuxedos and told jokes in them, and it was the dampest wow. I ever was. I had no – when it was over, it sort of – you know, the other crazy thing is you follow Obama, who crushed. Yes. And yes. Worse. that's very unfair to have to follow <sighs> the funniest president we've ever had. And he's so goddamn relaxed. Right. That's yeah. the other thing. The whole time he's doing it, he's just killing. And I know – look, I'll say something here. I do to this day think my jokes are better than his, but my delivery wasn't. You know what I mean? I'm like, I was at one point, I was like, God, if he had my material, fucking burn this place to the ground. Right. Cut to you two being shocked together and switching bodies. Um, What do you think that is? Because I I relate to you when I used to do stand up and, you know, I got as far as sort of. I felt I could go like I was on Jimmy Kimmel and I did a set, but I always felt I had no money in the bank with the audience. It's just like, do you like this joke? Great. You said station to station. That's a perfect yes. description of it. Where then there were these other comics who get on, you know, like a Sebastian or something is just like, oh, you embarrassed. And everyone's like, ah. and it's like, <laughs> what, what do you think you we lack that they have? Like, why can't we just analyze it, find it and do that? Well, you know, there is this thing, because I do think it's such a skill, right? That I think I could write a great Sebastian bit, but that's a credit to Sebastian and the fact that he built this vessel that people are excited to see. So I could write it, but I couldn't do it. Nobody would want me to do it. And even today, like, I still do stand-up, and I have to be backstage telling myself, these people like you. They <laughs> wouldn't have bought these tickets otherwise. And But at the same time, I think they just watch me in a different way, and I don't blame them for it, which is they're not going to – Oh, I love when he does that voice. And he does <laughs> Can I run a theory voice? by, like, I, I think it might be this, but I don't know. But I, I, always, I often wonder if it's because as a writer, like, you see the full diversity of options. And you go, I don't want to pick one and go, like, I'm an Italian guy now forever who's just locking right, yes. in. And you go, like, because I could, I could literally write, I feel, you know, you've written for many people. Um, right. You, and you've written successfully for yourself and other people that you go, I don't want to lock into this one thing because I, I can think of more. But then you present that to an audience and they're just like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, even when I, you know, because when I do stand up now, a lot of it's about having kids, right? Yeah. A lot of it's about being married. And I think that Certainly, uh, using the eye test, that demographic is a lot of people who are there. Then if I go anywhere a little bit darker, which I feel like is very well written, and it's not like dark for darkness sake, but I can feel that they're like, whoa, 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 we just heard about your kids. <laughs> and, and I want to be like, yeah, 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 but I do, I'm a lot of different things. I'm, we yeah. contain multitudes. And you can tell an audience sometimes doesn't want to make those tone shifts in, in real time with you. Yeah, and it's funny, Goldie, you you bring up, like, because I I totally get the station-to-station stuff, and you say, like, well, what's... Look at Seth. He he has such a Seth. You have like a a an all time likable face. Very like you nice could face. have been a yeah. presenter nice in like the nineteen thirties or something, and people would have been like, "I like this young man." <laughs> and so that gives him, like we never had that Goldie going on stage. Oh, it was, it was I, the oh, opposite I of that. Feel like. <laughs> like a weighted blanket, the palpable instant dislike of people. And I still do the second I enter a room. Where it's, like, no. it's not even a difference. It's just like, oh, don't make me look at him for five no. minutes. And 
it's, so I, it's, I just, Seth, you, you have the jump on us there. Yeah, but I, it's I the just Brody wanna, Stevens genius line. I hate yeah. you first. Yeah, yeah. Brody <laughs> Stevens used to come That's out on stage approach. and say, yeah. "I hate you first. Um, <laughs> but uh, Seth, another just to talk for a minute more about this White House correspondence dinner because Please. obviously, in the middle, there is this now fantastic moment where you absolutely slam like four torpedoes into Trump's side. And it it was one of those things where, because Goldie and I have talked on this podcast before, and I'm sure you've had this thought many times before Trump was like the worst person in the world. He was just kind of this somewhat likable bozo from a reality show. Like he he just, he seemed like a blowhard, but it was like, he kind of made you laugh with the you're fired and you're fired. And then there was this moment where when you're delivering these absolutely savage and awesome <laughs> jokes uh, about him where you said, I heard he was running as a Republican, I, w- I thought he was running as a joke, which was a first <laughs> great joke. And they show shots of him just sitting there, like a, one head that's not moving in a sea of people who are rocking back and forth <laughs> laughing. And did you have the thought, like, this is like a, like a Batman villain origin story? I since I have certainly, yeah. but of at course the time, not then. yeah. The funny a couple things is I remember we had written a lot about birth certificate stuff. We had a lot of birth certificate jokes, and I yep. believe two days ahead of it, Obama released his long form birth. Certificate. You made funny and jokes so, about that too, and we were like, oh. But then I think Trump was a late invite. The Washington Post invited him, and we couldn't believe our luck because all of a sudden, you know, the actual, when they give you a list of who's in the room, it's not, it's not like the Oscars. It's not a bunch of people that everybody knows. And so all of a sudden we had someone there. My favorite thing about that shot, to bring it back to New Hampshire, it looked like the old man in the mountain on the back of the corner. Because it was (laughs) weird. Like, there's no good shots on C-SPAN. It's the only good shot in the history of the White House Correspondents yeah. Dinner. They got this, yes. they got a clean shot of a stoic guy at a table. <laughs> yes. yes. And when it was over, I had called in the run-up to it, I had called Al Franken because he'd done it a couple times in the late 90s. Right. And I just wanted to pick his brain about the Correspondents Dinner. And when I walked off, while I was walking off, my phone rang and it was uh, Franken. Yeah. And I remember he said, uh, it was great. Uh, if you see Donald Trump, uh, go the other way. <laughs> I, I had no sense on stage how it had played oh, uh, with him. God. But certainly since then, I mean, credit to Donald Trump, who for real had the last laugh on that night. Because oh, every yeah. single... Every single Washington elite was walking around that night, making their way over to me, being like, "Well, I think that's the end of that." And so, I do, I do want to tip my cap uh, to the heightening that uh, our former President Trump did on that night because he certainly made me every one of those jokes. They were delicious jokes to eat, but he oh. made me eat every last one of them. God, well, it, it's worth it now in retrospect just to watch the comedy again and see it, see it really land. Because that's another thing you get a sense that nothing really landed on him. You could never land a clean blow. At Goldie, I yeah. think you said that when we were talking about Trump. You just could only get a glance. This was these well, were wonder, clean blows. I, I'm now picturing in my mind twenty years from now when they make the definitive Trump film. Who's going to play you? Doing yeah. those jokes, you know, like, will they go with a serious actor who's like, I want to be a comic in this one, or do you think they'll go with a premier comic at the time? Well, my my six year old did say to me the other day, "When you die, do you think I'll host your show?" <laughs> so maybe he's a little getting a little ahead of himself. He's got a good, a good entertainment mind. I saw Trump. That was on a Saturday night. I saw Trump on 
the following Monday at the Met Ball in Ooh. New York City. And <laughs> Lauren had said something to me a long time ago, which was never tell a joke about somebody where you wouldn't go up to them the next time you saw them. Oh, and I did feel every one of those jokes was very fair. Okay. And he was being a total shit heel about Obama and deserved yes. everything yes. he got that night. So I walked over to him and I went, I shook his hand. I said, thanks for being a good sport the other night, which he hadn't been. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to give him the ability. Yeah, give and him an opportunity. he said, uh, uh, you went too far. You were very mean. Obama was funny, but you went too far. You went too far. <laughs> oh my and God, that's awesome. I said, I respectfully disagree, but enjoy the rest of your evening. And he would, you know, every now and then, I usually around the anniversary of that, he would tweet something about me having no talent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a compliment. And then I, at the SNL 40th, 2014, we were, uh, and in, you know, it's a tiny studio. You know, I think people yeah. are always underwhelmed by how few people can fit into that thing. Mm -hmm. And it was all, it was just like famous people walking down the same aisle trying to find their seats. And you've never seen more crazy famous people saying like, excuse me. And, just, <laughs> yeah. and he was coming towards me and I was with my wife and he was with Melania and we were passing each other. And so we were just like face to face. And uh, he took my hand and he pulled me in and he goes, you do have talent. Don't, <laughs> don't tell anyone I ever said it. And we like laughed. <laughs> And I thought, well, this is a, a nice end of it. And then, uh, and then he ran for president. So oh, wow. I, I really thought, wait, I was like, oh, that's a, you know. And that, I will, let me just say something. Also, which is crazy with everything we know, but I'm just going to be honest. He is charismatic, right? When he yes. puts yes. his, when he shines his light on you, yes. which you can't believe. But he's like, you do have talent. I was like, you know what? You're all right, Mr. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about everything. Forgot about the fucking birtherism and, you know, so. Yeah. He oh, thinks I'm funny. So that would have been the great ending to that story. That was the great ending. He, that had, ended, to, yeah. he had to it spun out. Take I mean, that might it. be in the movie. We might. Play <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, yeah. That confrontation. Or do, or do just you that think? Because I would be so chicken shit in that situation. Like I would never be on the same side of the room with him again. And then I would make more fun of him and then I would hide the rest of my life. <laughs> like just hearing your dad was an investment banker. Do you, did that give you any sort of like? perspective on the world in terms of like deal making and you might not agree but you just come together like where does that come from for you i don't know i would say that my dad if anything um uh my dad um, and again we're very very close but he had a temper and he would i was a pretty slack student and my dad always thought that i was sort of wasting my potential and so there were a lot of times in my upbringing where my dad was really screaming at me yeah. And I think it was healthy in that later in my life, I would take it from anybody as long as it wasn't my dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, you don't scare me. I totally. I've gotten a face full of shit from Larry Myers for half an hour. <laughs> You're nothing. You're nothing. <laughs> so I, now I just want to, we're going to only keep you for a few more minutes here, but Late Night with Seth is awesome. It's so yeah. fun. And you are as I mentioned up top, it's like you're carrying on in the tradition of the coolest slot in late night. When you think about who's been in your chair, it's just a succession of people that everybody loves and everybody kind of loves their comedy. It's nuts. And so do you, do you ever sit back and feel the weight of that? Or do you just kind of say like, I'm doing my own thing and I, I enjoy what I'm doing? I think I felt the weight of it. Certainly when it began, I, I, one thing that worked in my favor is 
I was taken over for Jimmy and he wasn't gone. He was just mm -hmm. earlier. So I think that the people who loved him didn't resent that we were doing something different because they still right. had him. And that's a nice way to go into it. And yes. sort of, you know, was briefly the case for um, Jimmy and Conan and was never the case for Conan and Dave. So I that was lucky. And I tried not to get too caught up in the, you know, the history and the weight of that. I will say that our show during the pandemic, where we started doing it without an audience and basically had 18 months where we could, we were sort of invited by circumstances to make the exact show we wanted to make mm -hmm. because there was no audience judging it in real time was the first time that I thought, oh, this is what I wish we'd done from the beginning. But I think if we had done it from the beginning, people would have hated it. Like you kind of oh. had to earn it. Yes. And, you know, if I just said, you know, five years into the show to NBC, I think what we got to do is we got to take this show to an attic for three months. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I just said that independent of a pandemic, they would have been like, what are you talking about? But <laughs> right. that was, I, I kind of, um, and again, I liked our show a great deal before the pandemic, but this show post the pandemic, we feel really close to the audience, feel like we're getting away with things that we wouldn't have had the nerve to try ahead of it. And Letterman has been on the show twice. And the first time was before the pandemic. The second time was after. And the second time he came, I was prouder of what we were in a oh, way that awesome. I wanted him. The fact that he was there to see it, right. I felt really good about. Yeah. And not that I think that he spends any time worrying about. I don't think he's the kind of person who's like, protect my show. But right, it was right. cool for me <laughs> to have him there and be proud of what we were putting out. Yes. Well, like, well, well one thing I just love about your show and your demeanor is that you, well, I was an intern at Conan, and Letterman came on. We were told, like, don't look at Dave. And then it was like, Conan, you know, he's hilarious, and he was very nice. He had so much agita about it. But you seem to really enjoy it. Like, and I don't know if that's an act or or not, but you seem to appreciate what you're doing and like it. And the people you work with, the the bringing of the writers on and the sharing of it. And is that something that, like, because you were a writer, you knew to do? Or is that just your natural disposition? Or did you come to that later? That's the Midwest. I, it's a, Yeah. But I do, <laughs> I look, I do consider myself a writer first. And I do love being around writers. And we've had an interesting journey with the writers on our show. Because when we started the show, we had this sense of, oh, we'll use the writers. Like, I used to use the SNL cast at Weekend Update. Which was a miscalculation. Because not every update feature works. And... <laughs> they have the advantage of it's Bill Hader or Kate McKinnon or Andy Samberg or people the audience know and are rooting for. When I brought out my writers very early on in the show, it was not working at all. I think people were very turned off by it. And so the show had to work behind the strength of whatever I was saying first. And then we had the permission to sort of bring our writers back in. And so it is funny how... I think every writer who works on a comedy show wish they wrote for Conan in the 90s. We say this I think, all the time. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh no, right? I thought you said wants to be on camera. Oh, no. <laughs> oh well, they <laughs> definitely, yeah, they all want to be on camera. Yeah. Oh, but absolutely. I think that certainly the generation of writers I have, you know, they came up on Conan in the 90s and they forget that a lot of other steps took place before that favorite quirky thing they saw. Right. And so totally. that was the process you have to figure out, which is you kind of have to keep putting on these layers these coats of paint that the audience agree to and then you can try something else and then you can try something else and then you can build to a place where you're doing exactly what you want but if you start that way i think the audience would would blame you for not taking it seriously right yeah that makes sense 
And we we mentioned briefly before we started here your your production partner Mike Shoemaker, who is a really great guy, and you've worked with him for a while now. He actually fired me from SNL, but he did it very nicely. <laughs> um, but uh, and, I've and he did. Re- I want for our listeners. I did. He did say say hello to Alan Swartman. Yes. Aww. No. He's he's a great guy. Um, but you guys have formed uh, a production company with a name that I love. Will you hit us with that name? Seth Maker Shoemeyer's. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> See, it, it, and tell us, you said it got kind of a reaction from some Yeah, we told yours. Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, we have dinner with them um, once or twice a year, and they rolled their eyes back in their head. Because I will say, <laughs> so uh, Mike Schumacher is the best, I mean, obviously uh, for you, Alec, this did not turn out to be the case. I would say he's the best friend a writer could have. <laughs> for real. And... Although you know the very fact that he uh, did it nicely, I think that speaks well, right? No, and, and and I was a I was just a little punk writer's assistant, and I was totally yeah. expendable, and I thought I was entitled to a lot more than I was entitled to at the time, and and it, he fired me not because he gave a shit about what I was doing, really, one way or the other. He was just told to. Yeah, but I've, you know, he's always been incredibly nice to me. But what kind we, of stuff? What, what kind of stuff are you guys working on together? Like what what? Uh, we have our, our one goal with our production company yeah. is to help facilitate people, writers we like, getting shows made. Oh, We're not cool. really out trying to find writers we don't know. We did this show, AP Bio, with Mike O'Brien, mm. who's this really yeah. funny writer at SNL nice. that we were friends with. And so, you know, that was a great thing where we could jump in and help get that made. We do Amber Ruffin's show on Peacock. She's developing new stuff this writer jeff wright with us is developing new stuff so we're always just trying to help get we're not trying to build an empire as much as you know we have this great stable of writers on our show and when they want to do other things we are just trying to make that a easier road for them that's so cool that's nice so you you guys are not looking to do like movies or pick up stuff like that it's exclusively kind of a a tv i mean every the thing is every now and then writers on our show write movie scripts. Uh, one of our writers, Seth Reese, just co-wrote The Menu uh, oh, with yeah, a, a writer, Will Tracy, who uh, works uh, at Succession now. But we don't have any, we don't know how to produce movies. And so we're very <laughs> honest. When our writers come to us, we sort of say, I would take it, you know, if you want us to be the production company for your movie, we'll certainly be happy to do it. But we also encourage you to go somewhere where people know how to get movies made. Because the one thing we don't want to do as producers is oversell what we can make happen. Yeah. That's a smart. smart and uncommon attitude today. <laughs> Wish more production companies would admit the things that they cannot do. Anyway, please say a nice hello uh, back to Mike. And and finally, just because we are ostensibly a writing yes. podcast, you've had the opportunity now to hire writers at SNL, at your show. Is there anything that a quality that you look for in a writer or their submission when you're when you're looking at stuff, or is it just like make me laugh? I mean, making you laugh is important, and certainly at SNL, the thing Shoemaker would always say is, "You're going to read these packets. You're going to see so many things that you've already seen on the show. But if you see one flourish that is unique, one thing you've never seen before, just put a pin in that. You're not looking for." a three sketch submission where two of them are good enough to be on the show. You're just looking for something unique. And that's the way we are at late night too. You want to hire somebody who look, it helps if you can tell they've seen your show with that said, you don't want something you already have. The least happy writer's rooms are when there's seven 
staffers who are good at the same thing. Yeah. Yes. So we're always just trying to find a point of view or a style or a thing that doesn't exist at late night yet. And um, that would, you know, so that would, I mean, I would just say, because I, you know, it was funnier earlier when I was saying everybody talks like Adam Sandler and you said the same thing happens with pilots. My, of course, being in show business, I thought you meant comedy pilots. And I was like, yeah, no, they're all the same. Like, I think there's that. You know, and so I think, and certainly I remember when I came out of college, like we had a, you know, I was in this creative writing for the media and it was like they were teaching you to write the pilot Write the sample that everybody's already written just to yes, show that, like, so. you're good at, like, margins and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, you know, again, I don't know how it is other places. And I'm sure there is still a, a sort of hiring style in L.A. that that celebrates the same. But we're yes. always, you know, I would just encourage people, like, write that thing that only you could write. And That's uh, such great advice. And it's like you said earlier with that nugget that Sandberg took out of the Mark Wahlberg, you know, say hello yeah. to your mother for me. Like yeah. if if yeah. there's a turn of phrase like that in some writing, like that's that's yeah. worth its weight in gold always. Um, well, Seth Myers, you've been so nice to come and talk with us Thank today. You so much. Uh, our our fans don't need uh, this direction, but of course you can always see Seth on his late night show on <laughs> that NBC. Is very important to me. Yeah. I'm yeah. always about promotion. And you may pick up about 12 fans. Yeah. You're about to get crushed in a tsunami of publicity. <laughs> I want you to gonna, be prepared. I might give Nielsen a heads up now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, keep, to keep an eye on the data. Switch, switchboard operator <laughs> spinning in their chair. All right, Seth, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, boy, that interview was great. Seth was awesome. So nice of him to be here. And now let's roll into a portion of the show we like to call Top Five. Top Five. Beautiful voices in harmony. Harmony. A harmony. <laughs> All right, JC, this was your list today. Let's tell the folks what we're Top Fiving about. We are Top Fiving about... Top five sexiest cartoon characters. Woo! I'm glad you suggested it and not either of us. It, it was a good topic. Was yeah. it? Okay, yeah. good. All right. Very fun to scroll through. <laughs> These drawings. Yeah. All right, um, lead us off, JC. Okay, my, um, it's weird. My number five, I suddenly realized, is this actually a cartoon character? But my number five is Lara Croft from Tomb Raider. I think there was a cartoon made of it, but I know yeah, she's a she's hot. We'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> she's hot. But <laughs> number four, Daphne from Scooby Doo. Yep, we have overlap. Oh wow! Oh yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a creep during this. <laughs> <laughs> there may not be overlap on this, but for me, as a kid in Super Friends, I think uh, we we have a little segment in Family Guy about Super Friends coming up. Yep, Aquaman. Oh, yeah, the old school, old school. Just a nice wet lay in the sand. (laughs) AQM. What's his his name? His real name's like Arthur or something. I don't know. Fonzarelli? Arthur Q Man. (laughs) Arthur Q Man. (laughs) Arthur Quinnipiac Man. (laughs) Uh, The very first crush I ever had was like five maybe watching Electric Company yeah. was Spider-Man. Ooh. Or or as a John Stewart, John Stewart, he calls him Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that sounds like John Stewart. And I don't know if this is the most <laughs> obvious. That sounds like John Stewart now. <laughs> He's Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man. Uh, number one, Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, those are good. Yeah. Those are good. That's yeah. chalk. I didn't go for that. But Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I kind yeah. of felt like I yeah. had to. Yeah, I had one, one that I'm shocked was not on there. But, okay, so I'll go number five for me, hometown pick, Lois Griffin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great bod. Great bod on that Lois yeah. Griffin. Hometown <laughs> Curves. pick. Curves. Number four, Maleficent. Oh, from Sleeping whoa, Beauty, whoa. very hot evil queen. Okay. Very hot. Look her up. <laughs> Maleficent. Number three, here's our overlap, Daphne yes, from Scooby-Doo. Yes, yes. Just a hot redhead. <laughs> Number two, um, Princess Jasmine. Oh. oh. From Aladdin, oh, Princess Jasmine. Yeah, very hot. And number one, all time hottest, no question about this for me. Veronica. Oh yeah, she oh. didn't make it, but she was. On Good there. Lord, was Veronica hot? I was always a Veronica guy in the Betty Veronica. Right. I'm glad no much. one said Betty Boop. Right. Yeah, I know that's <laughs> gross. Yeah, don't want. Gross. Okay, here we go. Number five, Mulan. Oh, yes. you know, nice. I, great yeah, taste. Great yeah. taste. Yeah, I felt Thank like you. I couldn't pick that one, but why? Yes. Number four. <laughs> this is age appropes. Elastigirl. Ooh. Oh, yeah, she's a mother. I'm she's not afraid cute. of it. Age of, I can age handle of... all that she is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Number <Age> three. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh, number three, I just, uh, as I look at this name, it, it's more and more incriminating. Elsa. I don't want to uh, say that. Yeah. I don't want to say that. She's very, she's very hot. I've heard uh, many, uh, many a rumor that she might uh, have an alternative lifestyle. She might oh. be a member of the LGBTQ. Look, man, just <laughs> yeah. some nice. That ice. doesn't preclude her from the list. She looks. I just want geez. some ice, dick. <laughs> uh, just, just like Prince Harry. Ice. Yeah. Uh, number two, I can't believe no one picked her. Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. come on, uh, man. Yeah, yeah, she's. Uh, she I rules. thought of her. Veronica is an equivalent for me. Who's and, and number oh, one? Yeah. This is. This is neither one of you picked this, but I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> the most versatile, just as himself in a dress, Bugs Bunny. Oh, he can rad. do it all. I mean, he puts yeah. on a dress, and you're just right away. You want to marry him because <laughs> <laughs> he's hilarious in a yeah. dress. He's got personality. He's got the gams. He's got the gams. <laughs> he's got serious gams. Uh, JC, great topic. Very good. Fun. Topic, very uh, fun. Goldie, what do we have next week? The top five best ways to die. Oh, oh that's good. That's scary. That's good. I like that. Oh, that's going to be so fun to think about. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's great. That's great. Okay, we'll look forward to that next week along with Heidi Gardner. Yes. All right, so let's end the show as we do every week on a high note. <laughs> Thank you, Tom and Max. Tom, yes. reach out to us. We want you to come back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I need to schedule that. Give us some that. funnies. Um, I'll go quickly. I'm just going to say two words, Seth Myers. Yeah. Thank you. That Wait, was awesome. It's cheating, but anyway. Nope. Not cheating anymore. <laughs> it's cheating, but I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on it. Yeah, it a, really Because was. he was great. And then B, because I did have something and it, I forgot what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's Seth Myers. Quite candidly. Yeah. And now JC would go, well, Stu got well, a new bass guitar. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, no. I will agree with you on South yes. It was great. But I will say night, it, everyone. Was, it was my oh, birthday you're... weekend. And oh. so it was great. Oh, and um, I forgot I... to talk about that. No need to talk about it. I'm talking no, about it right well, now. For... All right. <laughs> yeah, no, really. So tell us why it was a high note beyond just being a birthday weekend. Well, it was very relaxing. It started on Friday. It was, you know, it didn't have to do anything. Stu took care of me the whole weekend. Oh. He had a DJ gig on Saturday night, and it was like we were hanging out, had a cake. It was just like a fun awesome. night out. And then Sunday morning, we were out really late, and I get a fucking FaceTime at 10 in the morning and I look over at Stu, he's, who's asleep, and I'm like, you think I should pick it up? And it's Alec. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, let me, let me step in here and say it was 10.15. It's true. It 10, was 10.15. 10, right, and Goldie, imagine the sheer bliss of not having kids or dogs. <laughs> they were fast oh. asleep at 10.50. Yeah. They were fast asleep. It was not faking like, oh, we've been hanging out in bed for a little while. Hi, how are you? This was JC clearly was like, rubbing crust out of her eyes and Stu not motionless. <laughs> He's like, because I wanted to wish her a happy birthday. It was sweet, and, and I it thought, backfired. But it was also like, <laughs> Alex says, "Remember hashtag content." Yeah, <laughs> right. Like we're going to talk about this, I and I forget. But yeah, yeah, no, it was great, and I also went to Say Cheese, the cheese place where Goldie, uh, you picked up the gift certificate that you and Alex so generously got me for Christmas holidays, and I spent it. All made it rain Romanesco. I did. And I wrote <laughs> and in my I, journal. And I haven't pooped since. <laughs> no, Thank not you like too. you guys. <laughs> I'm regular. <laughs> um, well, what a fun show today. Happy birthday, JC. Thank yeah, you. Happy Thanks, birthday, JC. Uh, Seth Myers. Thank you. See you next week for Heidi Gardner. Yes. Thank you two for being awesome. And we will talk to all of you next week. <laughs> not me. That was fun. And it stops right now. You went too far. You were very mean. Obama was funny, but you went too far.